Welcome to the third season of The Morning Glory Project, Stories of Determination. I'm your host, Betsy Graziani-Fassbinder, and together with my co-producer, Angela Washington, we bring you really amazing stories of amazing people. I'm so lucky that I get to have these conversations and to share them with you. These are conversations with people who have overcome, people who have endured, people who have gone on when others might not have. They've overcome losses or tragedies, disappointments and heartbreaks, or they've seen a goal and pursued it to its end. And what I'm really fascinated by is they don't just share that they had these stories or that they lived them, but how, what were their inspirations? What were the resources they used? What ideas kept them going? How did they dig deep and find what they needed to find to go on? Because it's my belief that when we learn how someone else got through hard times or found their goals, that we learn how we might be able to do the same. Thank you so much for listening to the Morning Glory Project. And if you like what you hear, give us a like or a share on your social media site or golly, use the good old-fashioned word of mouth and tell a friend about us. We love sharing these stories with other people. Thanks for listening. After a long career as a psychologist, organizational consultant, and sports education specialist, George Selleck has had a lot of experience at trying to understand people and helping both clients and athletes to develop healthy life skills. But it's in George's twilight years, while suffering life-threatening illness, that his greatest teacher arrived in the form of a prematurely born grandson. In his heartwarming book, Kian and Me, Gifts from a Grandson, George shares insightful lessons about how to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life. But the lessons in this inspiring book are not from grandfather to grandson. Rather, it is Kian teaching his granddad the simple practices for living beautifully. George, thank you so much for being part of the Warring Glory Project. I'm so glad you're here. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be with you. George, I have only recently met you, and I have met you mostly through the pages of your delightful book, and that's one George that I'm meeting. It's such an inspiring and delightful and charming book of simple wisdom, really, But I think that before asking you about the book and this part of your life, I want to ask you a bit about your early life. Can you tell me, first of all, your age is significant because you're a granddad in this story, but your age and how you grew up. Tell me a bit about your family of origin. Well, I'm uh, 87 years old. I'll be 88 in August. Um, I was born in San Francisco prior to the uh, Second World War. My father had uh, become a den- was a dentist serving with the Civilian Conservation Corps in Montana. And uh, when um, the war broke out, uh, he came back uh, to San Francisco and got himself a job in Compton, California. And we moved to Southern California. My uh, twin brother, a fraternal twin, and an older sister, and... Uh, started our life in Southern California. So Compton in that era was not a very diverse community in lots of ways. Can you tell me about that? I My understanding is that you were one of the few Jewish families in the neighborhood. 
Yes. Um, my recollection is there might have been one other Jewish family in the community of about 40,000 people. It was a wonderful place to grow up. It was really the sports capital of the West, if not the nation, and um, a very kind of sophisticated six, four, four, uh, six years of elementary school, four years of uh, middle school, and two years of high school on the campus with the junior college. Mm-hmm. And um, um, sports was sort of my way of getting accepted into the community and 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 finding uh my uh way was kind of a sanctuary for me but but it wasn't it, well the very fact that you needed a sanctuary says something about your circumstances in in your family and in your community can you say a bit about what was what was challenging about that time well uh, as i've reflected and 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 kind of interacted with my uh, history. Um, We were, uh, to my knowledge, as I just mentioned, uh, exposed to anti-Semitism, which was pretty rampant in the uh, uh, late 40s and um, early 40s and 50s. Um, I had a twin brother who uh, did not graduate from high school and as one who obtained 12 years of college and four years of four degrees, I tended to have a lot of guilt about my success on the athletic field and in the classroom. I oftentimes uh, have recalled an incident in the third grade and was repeated several times where we had a spelling bee and my brother was across the room from me in the other line, and and I would try to misspell a word without the teacher recognizing my intention so that I could sit down uh, prior to him. Mm. In other words, I felt guilty about all my successes. And and then the final kind of dagger I used to call it in my life was the fact that my father, uh, not able to adjust to his life, situation, maybe a serious health problem that I was not aware of, but took his life uh, when I was a young man. So um, sports and uh, my passion for it became my way out of my self-developed ghetto. And uh, I think had a lot to do with uh, my pushing ahead in life and, and succeeding on many fronts, but not ever experiencing the joy and the sense of presence in the moment that I have experienced with this grandson, Kean. Hmm. Well, we're going to get to Kean in just a moment, but I want to linger just for just another moment. I wonder how many times a sibling or a friend has felt the it, it, it was a push-me-pull-me kind of thing. On one hand, you were academically skilled, obviously. You could, you could do school well, but you didn't want to overshine your brother, and you felt guilty about being successful, but you wanted to be successful. So it's like a push and a pull at the same time. And it seems like, and you described that as a young man, and, and certainly after your father's suicide, but but as a young man and uh, you know in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and more, that you had a lot of anxiety and that push and pull seems like a, a, a fertile ground for anxiety to grow. 
There's no doubt about it. I I remember very early in life the first um, exposure to anything intellectual or educational was the uh, book that you may recall, The Little Engine That Could. Mm-hmm. And that just that just somehow took up its residency in my life. I was always a hard worker. Uh, I always put forth a lot of effort, uh, had a lot of desire and a lot of drive. I'd almost say that that constellation of factors has been my very best friend in life. But, of course, there's a flip side to that, a coefficient of adversity, as they say, where I didn't learn to enjoy or relax or to celebrate uh, the successes that I did have in life. Mm. That that drive, it, it's funny, it's, it is a, a double-edged sword, isn't it? Drive and ambition, because on one hand, it, it keeps you moving forward and it, and it can help you be a person of accomplishment and, and help you build a life of your own design. I think of my own ambitions almost like a finger wagging quality, like get at it. You, you've got more to do. You know, there's sort of this, this scolding that happens a lot that causes me to push and push and push when I, when I'm not moderating that. And it sounds as though you were a driven person in this way. And and it sounds as though that kind of strive for perfection and was a source of sorrow and how it helped you to miss out on some joyful experiences of the moment that you were living in back then. Uh, absolutely. I think when a person is depressed, there are feelings of helplessness and hopelessness and powerlessness in the face of, you know, what, but when anxiety, you have the same feelings of per, uh, hopelessness and, and uh, confusion and, uh, a lack of understanding, but you don't know what the source of it is. So you just keep powering on because you can't see the enemy very squarely that you can challenge them. Hmm. So now I want to jump ahead. So you, you were a young man and, and you ended up marrying a woman who had children. So you were a blended family. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I had uh, three children. My uh, first wife has attended uh, every summer a a family vacation with with myself and my present family. (laughs) Truly a blended family, even including the exes. Yes, yes. (laughs) And um, uh, I had uh, three children. My daughter um, uh, went to Stanford, as I did, and became a physician, and uh, but sadly died in. 2007 of a brain tumor. Um, my older son is an economist and my younger son is a school principal. And my wife um, of today um, had two children and uh, one a daughter and one a son. The daughter, Kathleen, um, gave birth to Kean, a premature boy who lived within walking distance of us. Um, I was a volunteer gardener and uh, because I was always an early bird and up very early in the morning, when he came home as a premature baby, I volunteered to take the first shift. So from six to eight or seven to nine, um, every day I uh, was with Kean and our relationship started. 
Well, so he, he was a premature child born at, at just five pounds and some, right? And so he required extra care and to, to spell his parents a little bit. And uh, you stepped in as, I, I think that gets you Granddad of the Year Award there. And so Kian is now how old about? He will be three in a couple of weeks. Okay. So he, so this this is a recent part of your life. And, and at your age now, 87, I understand. So Kian came into your life in your early 80s. And the title of your book is Gifts from a Grandson. Tell me about the subtitle and how Kian became your teacher. Well, there's two factors, I think, that come to mind about that. One, um, my nonprofit work, uh, Lead to Play, has been focused on uh, student enhancement or or, uh, on the fact that we as adults, I think, tend to underestimate uh, young people. And what I think that is really important to their experience and to their growth and development is the idea that um, they are given a voice and they are given choice and they are given responsibility. And in that responsibility, they achieve ownership. And uh, Lead to Play was a program where young people created their own team, uh, interviewed and, and um, uh talk to their peers and younger kids. And out of that information created a play physical education or physical activity and sports program for their peers or younger kids. So kids learn to be leaders by being leaders. Hmm. I've always been the opinion that we perhaps as adult, as well-meaning as we are, tend to underestimate what children and young people can bring to the party and, and can provide us in terms of leadership and direction on how best to serve them and to help them become the mature, responsible people that we want them to be. You know, I I think there's a difference between, of course, guiding our kids and encouraging them to be their best selves and making corrections as, as we need versus sort of a parent having a parent or a coach for that matter, having a very specific agenda for the kid. Yes, I've tended to kind of separate that, as I'm sure others have, uh, between whether or not we understand that we are to be creating a path for our kids, which I think, you know, very great number of well-meaning parents uh, wanting the best for their kids tend to direct them and to create the path rather than uh, working with their kids, setting boundaries where necessary, giving feedback. Um, correction, uh, support, and encouragement to help their children create their own paths. Mm. And I think the word ownership is is really paramount to maturity, that when kids feel a sense of ownership, they're really well on their way to maturity. So with Kian, though, and as is indicated by the subtitle of your book, Gifts from a Grandson, you are the t- student and he the teacher. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, the, the second that I started to uh, hold him and to uh, uh, give him his uh, first bottle and, and um, burp him, <laughs> I was completely taken by his presence, the way in which he seemed to be responding to me as I was responding to him. 
And as a person who's always been uh, perhaps moving, if not going too fast, uh, immediately when I was with Kean, uh, the clock seemed to stop or, or or get lost, and I seemed to become more fully present and available to him because he was available to me. Mm-hmm. And I have enjoyed every moment and every instance of my life uh, and experience with him over uh, these three years. Well, now, George, of course, every grandfather, every loving grandfather is charmed by his grandchildren. But there's another layer of that here. This sounds as if as if the teacher and student sort of met on the road at the right moment, that he was teaching you to set aside your drive, that this was not the time, you know, certainly because you're older, you're retired, that those things are true. But also this sounds like it was a lesson for you about stillness and quiet and being in the moment as opposed to thinking about an agenda. Absolutely. And it also was an education for me uh, to correct or to expand on ideas of that I had, uh, you know, played with perhaps throughout life, but never really got into very much depth about. Mm-hmm. I think my educational experience was the fact that I was a very hard worker and that I paid attention and listened, but I didn't do any reflection. When the professor would pass out a, a class syllabus at the first week of, of a quarter system that we had at college, um, I would start to write the term paper before I'd even heard or understood the subject matter because the anxiety of not doing well was so strong with me that I uh, did not appreciate the opportunity of learning and learn that I really learned to learn for myself. In other words, I could get ideas and concepts in a classroom, but until I made them my own, that they came part of my experience, um, I really didn't learn anything. So how is it that Keenan inspired this as well? He was just so alive, and as as he moved into the first six months of his life and started to to, to pick up activities, I was amazed by his approach to play, to by his approach to uh, curiosity, to his approach to making mistakes. I mean, even when he was starting to walk, uh, he would um, stumble and fall like any kid, but. That didn't bother him. He was up and right at it. Um, in every single activity of his, I was was not forced, but I was invited and encouraged to take a more mature, a, a deeper uh, dive into what it was all about, and and the positiveness and and the the beauty of it, and really the new learnings that I was getting from him. It strikes me, George, that an infant and 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 therefore and later on a toddler of course because he's now nearly 3 as well as animals have a unique ability to be completely and utterly in the present it's as if they don't have a future or a past they're just thinking about what they're doing right this minute and it sounds as though being 
truly present is a skill that that is pretty recently acquired for you. Oh, absolutely. And being truly present and being more authentic or or even perhaps stretching to the best uh, length of my authenticity because he was modeling that. I mean, his enthusiasm, his his uh, energy, his his um, uh, childlikeness versus childishness were such beautiful things to behold that I uh, I was learning and 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 soaking it up and and uh, uh, relishing in it and enjoying it. Uh, I I can honestly say that I have enjoyed every moment that I have ever been with Kean. I think his parents are absolutely amazing. Um, uh, one thing I think about often is their approach to him when he's a little flustered or he's, you know, having a little protest about what they do. The mother or the father would say, now, Kean, use your words. Tell us what is going on with you, which would force him immediately to get out of his uh, emotional response and into the experience of using his words to say what he was feeling or thinking or what was bothering him. Mm-hmm. And something that's very different than your growing up experience with a with a dad that couldn't articulate his own needs. And perhaps that was part of what fueled the end of his own life. Uh, I know that, that I know in my own family being a a survivor of suicide in my own family, I often think, oh gosh, if they could just have spoken about what was harming them or hurting them or worrying them so badly, perhaps they'd still be here. Yes, I think that's very true. I think my mother was completely absorbed in the concerns for my twin brother who was not doing well at all in any way and uh, drank a little bit too much that impacted her life. So the dysfunctional family was a a very powerful experience in my growing up. And I think being with Kean has, has taught me so much and, and, and his family experience and how they have dealt with him uh, has been a wonderful uh, thing for me to observe and to enjoy. You know, as you as you talk, I'm reminded my, my sister is a speech and language pathologist, and she tells me that when when babies are born, every baby born, no matter where they are in the geography of the world, they have the capacity for every sound in every language. The clicks in in African languages, for example, and the 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 unusual sounds that French language makes that seem so hard for us to form. The point of this is that we're born with all of them and we simply don't, we don't get reinforced. We don't retain all of them. Some of them fade away so that if I were to try to make the sounds, the clicking sounds of African languages, I'm unable to do that. So it seems that these gifts, these lessons that Kian teaches you through these books that through throughout that you talk about throughout your book, the lesson of curiosity, the lesson of learning how to learn, the gift of making mistakes, the gift of being yourself, those things are things that we're all born with, but that we unlearn somehow. Does that seem true to you? It it certainly does. Um I 
I wouldn't want to make too big a generalization here and then be insensitive to so many thousands and millions and millions of well-meaning parents. But I think every kid has unlimited potential. and But we aren't educated to know how to embrace and to uh, support and, and to encourage that potential. We're just trying to get through the day. We're trying not to make mistakes. We're trying to stay on our jobs and succeed or take care of other uh, economic needs or whatever. And there's not the time to just relax and let the kid move as he or she would move to the next level of their growth and development. So we're, I mean, I feel, have so much sense of appreciation for parents today in many situations. So COVID has changed a lot, but we're, both parents have had to work to to have the kind of family life that they had hoped to have economically or or neighborhood wise or whatever for their family but the, they're not able to be that available to their kids and uh, to be able to relax and enjoy it's the pressures and demands and, and stresses and tensions that are robbing them of the experience of enjoying that with their kids and also perhaps in their well-meaningness overlooking the fact that the kids can figure it out for themselves in most instances. You talk a bit about growing up, growing down and growing out. Can you tell me a bit about what you mean by that? Well, I, I've always loved the oak trees and uh, I, uh, uh, was introduced to them in my college days, and uh, there's a lot of oak trees near our home in Pinole, California. And um, an oak tree grows up, and it grows down into roots, and it grows out to grab the atmosphere and the 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 air to help it stretch. And by growing up, I mean the all of us live in a tension between wanting to fit in and to belong and to feel that we have a place where we are accepted. But on the other hand, the tension to stand out and to be known for who we are individually. And so this problem, which is going on in our problems today, I think we've always had perhaps in our history of America a creative tension between individualism and the common good. Today, the individualism is running the show and the common good is being lost in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And uh, this tension needs to be created in a creative way so that we both are individuals who who do have an individual life and choice and decisions, but also that we come together in our communities and our neighborhoods in our schools, in our neighbor, in our country, to work together. So that's what you mean by growing down. That and the grow, that's growing up. Growing down is our roots with is with our family, with our traditions, with our cultures, with our our faiths, with with uh, our, our one another. That's the roots that we must always pay attention to and be responsible to as well as for. Hmm. And you described growing out as 
what we leave behind, what mm. the memories we leave, the legacy we leave, the idea we might have left, the contributions we made. Hmm. Well, George, the this book, it's Kian and Me, Gifts from My Grandson, and it's spelled K-I-A-N, Kian and Me, by George, Dr. George Selleck. There's one line in the introduction of the book that I think is a beautiful ending to our conversation. It says, in the two years he's been alive, Kian has taught me many things and reminded me of many others. He's empowered me to address some of my shortcomings, to give myself grace, to challenge me to be a better version of myself, just as I hope I have empowered him to explore this world, take risks, ask questions, solve problems. He has rekindled my spark. You are a person who kindles, kindles and rekindles sparks, George. Thank you so much for being part of the Morning Glory Project. And I hope that folks will find this. It's a slim little volume. And I have to say, I disciplined myself and let myself just read one little chapter at a time to try to absorb it instead of just kind of blowing through it. And it, it was a delight to do so over the winter weeks here since it's been in my hand. Thank you so much for your lovely book for the lovely lessons that your grandson shared with you and that you now share with us and for being part of the Morning Glory Project. Well, thank you. And those are very kind words. And I appreciate this opportunity and this time with you a great deal. I loved having a conversation with George Selleck today. You know, years ago, decades ago, the author John Bradshaw who wrote a great deal about addiction and codependency and those kinds of things. He had a, a concept that has hung with me and it really came back to my mind as I was speaking with George. And that is, he said that we should strive to be a human being and not just a human doing. I wonder how many beautiful lessons and joy and experiences we all miss because we're doing so much. We're doing, doing, and not even just, there's nothing wrong with ambition and working hard and getting things done. We all want to be that, but that while we're driving so hard, we're blocking out the experience that we're actually in, in the moment. And as George would say, it's kind of not learning. You can't absorb without reflection and that his being with his grandson slowed down the clock and even threw it away for him, that he was just fully present with his grandchild. I think that babies and animals have that capacity of living in the present moment, and that's why they're so delightful and so accepting and wonderful to be around. And I just wonder for myself, and perhaps you might wonder for yourself, what would happen if we're able to click off and be have that present moment awareness of taking in the joys and the struggles and the learnings and the experiences that we're in in this moment instead of thinking about what's going to happen an hour from now, a day from now, a year from now. Instead of thinking what happened before, what we feel guilty about, responsible for, what we regret. All of that past and all of that future certainly does tangle up and keep us from enjoying today. That's going to be my extra bloom for today. And I hope that wherever you are, that you find your way to live in present moment awareness, to drink 
the joy nectar out of every experience and that you are also finding your way to bloom. <laughs>